we kick off episode 366 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Zero Hour. It's from the band Rondo Hatton. They're a surf band based out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And it's off their album Breaking the Sound Barrier. You can find them at rondohatton.bandcamp.com. Check them out. Let them know that you heard about them here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Lots to do this week. Really excited because I've got somebody on the show that I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time. Finally made it happen now that the dust has settled from this year's Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. The man behind the awards himself, David Colton, is on the show this week. We're going to talk about the history of the Rondos, why he does the Rondos, what the Rondos mean, what the future of the Rondos hold, and discuss whether or not I need to pay him for the use of the phrase monster kid in Monster Kid Radio. It's a really fun conversation. We're going to play the Classic Five and just had a really good time. He was actually at Monster Palooza and took some time out of his weekend to appear here on the podcast. Now, that's not all we have this week. This week, we also have the very first Vault of Monster Collectibles segment. Brenda was able to read the email sent in from Michael Dodd, and it's a really cool segment. I had fun putting it together, and if you head over to monsterkidradio.net, going to see some pictures that reference the Vault of Monster Collectibles section. Of course, Brenda's going to be at the end of the show as well because she was able to read a number of your emails here on the podcast. So that's coming up as well. Also, 200 Years of Frankenstein continues here on Monster Kid Radio. When I take a look at a short French film, I'm not going to try to pronounce it now. I tried during the segment and uh, well, I probably butchered it. So you'll just have to stay tuned for that. That's all happening right after this. the grave comes blood-freezing horror as an ancient curse brings paralyzing terror to all who know the terrible secret of the four skulls of Jonathan Drake. Jonathan Drake, of all men, should know how futile that would be. Since you know that I'm dead, you know that you can't kill me. Don't what did I do? Dead! How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. Go 
human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies and what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. Authentic relic of the Black Room. One of the most horrible legends that has ever come out of the Dark Ages. Imagine a baron of an old castle. A baron who fascinates women with an almost hypnotic attraction. He loves them violently and then he murders I don't mean to frighten you, Tim, but that Gregor's a monster. Don't you feel it? Every time he comes near me. I must ask you to do one thing. Never allow yourself to be alone with him for a minute. Will you promise me that? Of course, dear. Ask him what became of my sister. Your sister? Yes, and the other woman. Take him away. Ask him what becomes of all the women. Why are they never seen again? He went to wed the beautiful tale. He escaped and hid in the black room. Vault of Monster Collectibles, Hamilton's Invaders, Horrible Hamilton. In 1964, Ramco produced a line of monster toys inspired by classic 1950s big bug sci-fi movies called Hamilton's Invaders. The toys featured the main monster, Horrible Hamilton, as well as the spooky spider, Gruesome Beetle, and three smaller unnamed bugs. The larger monsters were powered by pull-string motors that sent them scurrying along, or walking in the case of Horrible Hamilton, and emitting a loud, buzzing, roaring sound. The opposing forces consisted of Dwarf Tank, Hornet Helicopter, Mosquito Jeep, Torpedo Tank, and Blue Defenders, UN soldiers in six poses. The Dwarf Tank and Jeep move with pull-string motors, while the much larger Torpedo Tank has a battery-powered motor. Horrible is around 11 inches long, and the Spider and Beetle are around 8 inches long, and the Blue Defenders stand about 3 inches tall. Other pieces include the cave, which came with the Sears playsets and life-size kid pieces including a helmet in black or silver, a chrome grenade pistol, and a smaller yellow laser pistol. These pieces were sold in retail stores in very cool boxed playsets, which often paired a monster with a vehicle and three blue defenders. Sears' exclusive Battle of the Monsters playsets were offered in the 1964 and 1965 Wish books in the 12-piece and 17-piece versions. The 12-piece version contained Horrible Hamilton, Hornet Helicopter, the three smaller bugs, six blue defenders, the cave, 
an instruction sheet, and stylized shipping box. The deluxe 17-piece version added the spooky spider, dwarf tank, and three additional blue defenders. Hamilton's Invaders pieces are fairly scarce now, but do turn up on eBay in various conditions. The original boxes and instruction sheets are very scarce and are often damaged when they surface in the marketplace. The cave is another very scarce piece, having been made of corrugated cardboard. Cave pieces in excellent condition are probably bordering on rare. Horrible Hamilton is the signature piece and the one every Hamilton Invaders collector wants to adorn his monster display. Horrible Hamiltons turn up fairly frequently in damaged condition and damaged examples seem to fetch around $100 to $200. Common flaws are missing eyes, missing nose, broken antenna, missing tail, fin, brakes, cracks, discoloration, and pulse-stirring motor not working. Nice horrible Hamiltons in excellent working condition can command values of $300 to $500. My personal intro into Hamilton's Invaders came at Christmas in 1964, when at the age of five I found the large 17-piece Battle of the Monsters set under the tree with my name on it. I've been a Hamilton's Invaders fan ever since. I still have my original Spooky Spider, three smaller bugs, and blue defenders from that set, and I've picked up various other HI items via eBay over the years, including a complete 12-piece Battle of the Monsters playset and boxed helmet and grenade pistol. I've sent a pic of some of the loose HI pieces I have displayed on one of my monster shelves, including a horrible Hamilton in excellent condition. Also in that pic are some distinctive dummies hammer figures for background. I like to mix things up a bit in my displays. And besides, those hammer figures represent movies that hadn't been out long when Horrible Hamilton first surfaced and menaced the Monster Kid world. It's all 60s monster goodness, brother. Also, I've included a pic of the original 1964 Sears Wishbook ad featuring the Battle of the Monsters playsets. These pictures will be posted at the Monster Kid Radio website at monsterkidradio.net. punctures of the external jugular vein right side. Any blood? No, that's the strange part. No evidence of bleeding. This medallion, composed of horrors unimaginable, taints the secret heart of Sandra Harrison with the blood of Dracula and possesses the mad mind of Louise Lewis with dreams of limitless powers. I can release a destructive power in a human being that would make the split atom seem like a blessing. A woman overfull with fantasies of terror, stimulating young girls beyond any reasonable control, piercing the Earth's crust to make black magic with the blood of Dracula. Transforming a young girl's love into terrifying bloodlust. 
symptoms are identical. Two incisions of the jugular vein. Was well, the killer human or animal? A Dracula. the curse laid upon it. Great was the evil power granted it. Buried for 400 years, it still lives. Stare into these eyes if you dare, for every woman that does becomes a willing slave to the thing that couldn't die. You're not the same girl you were yesterday. Yesterday I was trying to do what was right. I was afraid. But I'm not afraid anymore. And every man becomes a monster. There's another casket buried somewhere on the ranch, Jessica, and Mr. Ash has promised us $5,000 if we can find it. Isn't it enough that two men are dead? Do the rest of you want to die too? Greed had made them unearth a monstrous evil centuries old. Now they, and they alone, had to face the consequences. Kid Radio listeners, for what feels like months now, I've been talking about the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. The, the winners have been announced. Uh, the ballot's amazing, as is always every year. It's an amazing thing. I look forward to it every year. And we have this man to thank, David Colton. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Hi, Derek, and hi, everybody. Happy to be here. The Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, we're going to talk about that. I mean, this is a legacy now at this point. I'm, I'm a proud winner. And we're going to get to all that. But David, we have something we do here first on the show. Whenever we have a new person on the show, we have a game we play called the Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here. All yes or no, this or that style questions about classic monster movies. Okay. I, I'm going to run you through some questions here and give our audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about our guests this week on Monster Kid Radio. You ready to play the Classic Five? I sure am. All right, here we go. Card number one. What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own? Uh, the lever from Bride of Frankenstein, which always looked to me like a baseball bat, but I'd, I'd love to have that. I've never had anybody answer that before. Usually it's something like the Wolfman cane, but the le- I love that. I love that. Just don't pull it. <laughs> right. All right, card number two. David, what classic monster movie should never, ever be remade? I, I'm uh, I'm on the other side of that. I think a remake is okay if it ends up being a good piece of work. Uh, I okay. don't think there should be a, a rule on not to remake anything. Fair enough. All right, card number three. 
Who do you prefer, Willis O'Brien or Ray Harryhausen? Uh, Willis O'Brien, Ray Harryhausen has a much greater body of work for sure. But uh, Willis O'Brien brought such humanity to the few creatures that he did do that that I would say Willis O'Brien is the giant in that field still. Hands down. Okay. (laughs) All right. Is that card number three? This is card number four, I believe. Question number four. What two 1940s monster movies would make a great double feature? Uh, The Mummy's Hand and Son of Dracula. Ooh. Any particular reason why you'd pick those two or pair those two together? Well, The Mummy's Hand is eminently watchable. It's funny. It's fast. uh, The special effects of his eye of the mummy's eyes are great and son of dracula always reveals new things every time you see it um i believe he is the son of dracula lon cheney's performance grows on you over the years it's an underrated film i feel like it doesn't get the attention and and respect it deserves so anytime we can talk about son of dracula it makes me very happy (laughs) all right all right so i'm going to admit to stacking the deck here with our final question here um I don't get to ask this one of very many people, but considering what we're talking about this week on the show, David, what is your favorite Rondo Hatton film? Uh, It would have to be House of Horrors, which is uh, when the mad sculptor Martin Koslick uh, makes a giant sculpt of Rondo's head, and that became the look of the award itself. And it's also a pretty good movie. Um, a lot better than The Brute Man or uh, Spider-Woman Strikes Back or some of the other films where he had roles uh, as the creeper, but House of uh, Horrors is a very, very enjoyable movie. Just the image of that giant sculpture is just, it's iconic and obviously influenced well, the Rondos. Right, and when he explains why he uh, strangles uh, a woman, he says she screamed. Well. (laughs) Which, you know, is not very politically correct, but uh, No, you know. Oh, David, that was the Classic Five. How do you feel? That's that's harder than it sounds. Well, I I love playing the Classic Five with new people. I'll have a deck of them, several decks of them, uh, at Monster Bash later this year. So if listeners, you want to play the Classic Five, you know where you can find me, Monster Bash. But you're not at Monster Bash right now. You're at Monster Palooza. You're at a different convention, different part of the country. How is the show treating you? Uh, Monster Palooza is really something. It's It's a gigantic trade show of makeup, uh, and special effects, practical special effects, uh, shops and uh, creators and movie makers. It's as big as the auto show now. It's just a huge, huge thing. And it's in Pasadena, home of the Rose Bowl. And last night there was a tribute to Rick Baker that was just over the top. Uh, special guests included Slash, suddenly walked on stage. John Landis was there. David Nowton, uh from American Werewolf. Sarah Karloff. Uh, a very raucous uh, <laughs> rock and roll band, and the reception for Rick was just incredible. It was a, like a, a rock star. When you, when you say Slash, you mean the guitarist? From Guns N' Roses, yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, he just, like, in his hat. Well, <laughs> was that separate on the guest list, you know, Slash, and then his plus right. one in his hat, I wonder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, he didn't pl- he didn't play, but he, he, he said some words. And the connection between Slash and Rick Baker, I'm not sure. But, you know, they obviously seem very, very friendly. And they showed a collage of Rick Baker's work. And it's just amazing. It, it ranges from schlock and Octoman to the cantina scene in Star Wars, Gremlins, 
almost any men in black, almost any movie you can mention, Rick Baker was a creative force. And it was really astounding. Uh, the the t Tim Burton apes from Planet of the Apes, just great, great stuff. Just a genius. The man's an icon. Uh, I've never had a chance to like see him speak in person or meet him, but all the interviews that I've seen with him over the years, I mean, the love that he has for the things that you and I love is just palpable, and he infuses that into all the stuff that he's done, and it's just amazing. So that's that sounds great. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And w one other note: uh, Mike Hill was there, and he, he's a uh, a sculptor who uh, worked on Shape of Water and helped design the creature. And he always has these fantastically realistic universal horror dioramas he makes, life size. And his offering this year was the monster and little Maria at the lake. And they look so lifelike, it was almost scary. Um, he's just a brilliant, brilliant uh, sculptor. And uh, his future has really just begun, I think. Well, and he was a recipient this year, Monster Kid Hall of Fame, right? Yes, along with uh, five other people. He named to the Monster Kid Hall of Fame, and he, he was quite delighted. He'll be at Wonderfest, where the, where the uh, ceremony is, and he'll accept there. So that'll be fun. I want to talk about the Rondos, and, and I know you've given interviews about the Rondos over the years. I've talked about it here on the show, but if you had to describe the Rondo Hat and Classic Horror Awards to somebody who didn't know what they were, how would you do that? It's a homegrown, fan-based letter of love to the genre. It's about classic horror, which is different from most of the horror world today. It's not about gory films. It's not about uh, torture films. Uh, and it runs into trouble sometimes. But I think we only nominated one of the Saw films. They just didn't have that classic image and feel. And it isn't like just hopelessly stuck in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, you know, like the, the recent It, Stephen King's It, is a very classic horror film, even though the, the effects are very over the top and, you know, it goes where you know, the older movies never went. It still feels like a Saturday afternoon at the movies. So any modern movie that feels like that, that has that, that more gentle feel, easily makes the ballot and sometimes, and sometimes wins. We started it at the Classic Horror Film Board uh, 16 years ago. And um, in the first year, 168 people voted. We were on AOL. You know, you had to have those discs. And the next year, uh, 600 people voted. And then the next year, 2,000 people voted. And it got up over 3,000 people in, in later years. Then it started to drop down a little. But this year, we had a record 3,700 people vote. And uh, it's pretty amazing because the ballot is very eight-track. It's, <laughs> it's very uh, retro. You know, you don't click to vote. You have to either cut and paste the ballot and mail it in or type it over again. And that, that more than 3,000 people do that is, is, is quite amazing. Is there a reason why it's, it's that way? I mean, I... Well, my daughter said, Daddy, you should put it on SurveyMonkey. And, and we did do a prototype putting mm -hmm. the ballot. The ballot is really long, by the way. Um, and that's my fault. But um, we put it on SurveyMonkey, and it became a problem in its other... Like, you had to... It was endlessly scrolling to get even to one whole category. So um, we're still looking at that, though of some kind of more electronic, modern way of voting. But, you know, there's a corniness to it that's kind of wonderful as well. It's got to be some extra work for you, uh, tallying all the ballots coming in and email and all sorts of different types of formats. But that you do it, 
it's just a testament to how important it is to you, and you've made it important to us. It's a labor of love. It really is. And um, I'm a journalist. I used to work at USA Today. I was an editor there. And I remember when this newest wave of horror appreciation began in the late 80s with video. And there was a lot of really strong journalism happening about horror that wasn't getting recognized. Work by Tom Weaver or the... uh, Keep watching the skies books by Bill Warren or the work of David Skull, um, documentaries. Um, with, you know, they'd get recognition in the field, but they there was no recognition in the larger world. And I thought, well, these things should get some kind of uh, honor or you know recognition to use that word again. So we began the awards, and it wasn't like. You know, a lot of awards today are like best decapitation, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, you mean there's no best decapitation category on the Rondos? <laughs> no. no, I mean, we like a, we like a good decapitation as much as anybody, but um, <laughs> no. And, and it, nor is it actor, you know, we don't have best actor, we don't have best actress, um, we don't even have best director. It's more about the magazines and the books and the independent films and the documentaries than it is about best return of uh, Jason or something. So um, it's, it's a little highbrow in that way. And, but, you know, it really warms my heart that people like David Scowl and David Shaw and the late Bill Warren, um, Tom Weaver, Tim Lucas, people not known to mainstream audiences proudly have rondos in their rooms or on their desks, um, along with people like Rick Baker and John Landis and uh, Sarah Karloff and uh, Elvira and Zachary. Remember giving Zachary an award at the Monster Bash? And and he he gave a little speech in the room and he said, um, you know, for everything, I've never gotten anything like this. And, you know, it makes you think that somebody as important as Ackley, especially for those of us who grew up on the East Coast, that never got an award, is kind of, you know, uh, means something. Yeah. You know, people have cried. We gave Bernie Wrightson an award, um, you know, 10 years ago. And, and when he passed away a, a year or two ago, we gave another award for, for a tribute to him that as Best Live Event and his son accepted very cheerfully. It was very, very uh, emotional. So it's a real thing, you know, like any award, but, but it seems to be a particularly real thing. You know, I look over at the uh, Rondo that I won a few years ago. It's, it's sitting on my bookshelf in my living room. It's, it's prominently displayed. Anybody who comes into my home can see it. Uh, and, and it was a true honor when, when I won. Um, and I think I've told this story on the show before, but when I found out that I won, I was in the chat room watching and, uh, it took me like three or four times to get the words out of my mouth to tell my wife. Uh, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it. Uh, and, and I had a real hard time just pronouncing the word Rondo. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it does, it meant something to me too. I mean, it, it's kind of a big deal. You've created this amazing thing, David. Well, part of it is the sculpture itself. Um, if, if any of the listeners haven't seen it, um, if you just Google Rondo award, it's a sculpt by Terry Gamel, who did it back in 2002, and he's a comic book artist and illustrator, and he, he uh, through Superman, X-Men, has done a lot of comic book work. But he was one of the original members of the Classic Horror Film Board, and we were saying we should do an award, and we were kicking around what it should be called. 
the folks at uh, Midnight Marquee used to put on the Fanex conventions, had given out an award called the Lemleys, which was after Carl Lemley, obviously, of Universal Studios. And they did it for a couple of years and, and then stopped. But we, So we were kicking around, you know, what if we did an award? Should it be the Borises or the Bellas? Or, and somebody mentioned Rondo, which sounded like the perfect name for an award. And then Kerry sent us a sketch of what it could look like. And it's just a perfect replication of the sculpt from House of Horrors. And there's something perfect about it. I think that's why people lust after it, not in an acquisition, like it'll make me feel important way, but it's just a, such a cool artifact. And I think you'd agree. I mean, the look of it is just incredible. Oh, it's iconic. It's it's a wonder. I don't want to call it a collectible, but I mean, it, it, it feels like one of the best collectibles out there. It just looks good. It, it's got some good weight to it and just... Kerry Gamble did an amazing job. Yeah. On the flip side is my wife who has to paint them every year. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's a very homegrown affair. Uh -huh. There are people who run the internet companies and there are award builders who, you know, and they contacted me, you know, we could reproduce this for you and do it in gold. And, you know, and it's, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a clay statue and we paint it and I screw it into the base and that's the way it should be. Yep. So. Not that it's any of my business, but you guys finance this yourself? Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing, too. You know what's most expensive? The engravings. Yeah. <laughs> like, we get, we gave Elvira one yesterday, and I had to do a rush job because she was just named last week. And I'm telling her, should I do uh, Cassandra Peterson, or should I do the five-letter Elvira? <laughs> and I, I opted for the five-letter Elvira. It looked better, <laughs> and... Uh, it was cheaper, but um, no, it, 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 we, we do finance it ourselves, and it costs a couple thousand dollars every year, I guess. That's... You know, not, but, uh, but some people buy clothes. <laughs> well, there is that, I guess. <laughs> you know? It's pretty you amazing. Know, people buy you know, $100 ties and things like that, and I don't do that, so, you know. <laughs> Who's buying a $100 tie? That's insane. <laughs> you know how many, well, uh, you know how many people... monster movies I can buy for that kind of money? Come on. <laughs> right. Now, there, there was one editor I had who, who would come in in these incredible outfits, and I was like, I could have used that for Rondo. <laughs> Over the years, it seems like the ballot has evolved. When I first started paying attention to when I first became aware of them, there was like the favorite or best collectible or toy release, and, and that has kind of fallen off the ballot. What are some of the changes yeah. that you've seen happen over the years with the ballot? Well, the toy category was fun. There, there were two times on the ballot we actually have images, and one is best cover, and the other used to be best toy or collectible. But in an odd way, the hyper-realism of some of the collectibles now has kind of like drained kind of the fun out of that category because there used to be a lot of whimsy. And I remember there was a doll from uh, Twilight Zone, the uh, Talkie Tina, whatever it was, yeah, yeah. episode, you know, and that one one year. Or uh, there were some really funny things. But just haven't been able to find that combination. In fact, one of the voters from uh, Sideshow, which is, you know, obviously one of the biggest uh, collectible makers, uh, queried me, is there not going to be a collectible category? Hmm. I, I keep trying every year, but I just run out of time and, and we haven't had it. Um, other changes, I don't know. I've been struggling with best international fan. and It became kind of a flap this year. Um, I was in the chat room. I saw. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I int- I int- we introduced this category, and the first winner was from uh, the former Czech Republic, and the next winner was from uh, Germany, and the next winner was from Japan. Um, I don't remember his name, but he was the Forrest J. Ackerman of, of Japan, and he died during the, con- during the awards. Oh, uh, no. Voting. Wow. Yeah. And the next year was a horror host from Australia. And I remember thinking, I don't view England and Australia as what I was doing, or Canada as what I was doing with this category. Mm, You know, thinking more foreign speaking or um, that kind of thing. And very few people vote in that category, like very few, handful. So um, the next year, we just didn't award one, and we didn't award one again this year. And, uh, you know, there were some rightful complaints. Hey, we voted for for this. Why isn't it? And it's it's an absurd comparison, but the Pulitzers (laughs) sometimes don't give a drama award or or the Nobels sometimes don't give an award in science or something. Uh, I think it's within the prerogative of the award folks to say, you know, we just don't feel it this year. And... uh, so we're playing with that category and we'll see what we can do. You know, and then as the world has gotten more social, there's a lot more scrutiny and a lot more how come this didn't win or how come this wasn't nominated. And um, if anything, I would say the most valid criticism of the Rondos is the ballot is so long. It used to be if it existed, it got nominated because <laughs> it was such a small because <laughs> it was such a small world. But now, you know, I mean, like best book, it's good. A good 25 books are listed. And I know there are five or six others that didn't make it that maybe should have. So that's a problem. The flip of that is, you know, some people say, why don't you just do the five best five final nominees for best book or the five nominees for whatever and make it more, you know, accessible. And to do that, I'm comfortable with trying to list as much as I can and being inclusive I'm not comfortable with me picking, okay, here are the five best books of the books. To do that, I think we'd have to create a bureaucracy of, okay, we'll have a book committee, and they spend all year looking at books, and then we'll have a documentary committee. As you know who has organized things online, you know, it gets out of hand really quickly, even with everybody having the best intentions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oh, of course he likes that guy because they're friends or whatever. So I've just opted to try to keep it as broad and inclusive and it's also a nice fact sheet just to see what's out there for people who, whether they vote or not. That, that's my favorite part. Yeah, is that it, it's like a shopping list of everything I missed over the year, potentially. You know, it's, it's just wonderful. Right. So I, I used to wait till the end of the year and then in this mad dash, you know, try to find everything. But at the Classic Horror Film Board, we have a whole section about rondos and people post about, you know, make sure you don't forget this article or this book or this CD I've taken to keeping track during the year, so I usually have a big list to work with. And every year I tell myself it's not going to be that long this year. I'm going to cut it back, cut it back. <laughs> and, you know, if there's a biography of a Shiro Honda, yes, it's going to make the list. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, but mostly it's tears and thanks and it's family. You know, I'm so proud of daddy. Um, it's just so wonderful mm-hmm. that it, it's, it's just a genuinely good thing. Now, I've noticed... If I, if I say so, my Well, I, I think it's great. I, I'm a huge fan of the Rondos. I support the Rondos every year. I mean, yes, I won one, and that's amazing. But 
you know, I look forward to the ballot that, that <laughs> more than anything else because there's just so much great stuff in here. You know, you see all the magazines, uh, all the books. So those are the things I really kind of focus on. And then the articles that I might have missed in some of these magazines. And one of the things that I like here about the ballot is that, like you said, People can go to the message board and post, hey, I'd like to nominate this person or that person or this book or this documentary. It's not just being generated in-house. There's, there's a lot of input available to you guys when you put the ballot together and that you're able to sift through all of that and represent the best of all of that and make, make it possible for us to pick the best. It's just, again, thank you. It's so much work that you do. There's a small circle of friends who, you know, I will check on, you know, with, uh, okay, we're going to nominate this. Is this? And I'll often get back, you know, that came out in 2015. And it's like, oh, okay, there's IMDb, so it's 2017. And, you know, and independent films are very hard to pin down when they were released. Mm-hmm. I mean, some are never released, really. Yeah, it's, um, if anything, I haven't been explicit enough in how to nominate something. Um, it goes back to everybody knew for a few years, but now everybody doesn't know. And I get a lot of emails about, you don't say how you can nominate something. So I'm going to, once I get home and start working on the website again, I'm going to make that more explicit and <laughs> say if you if you have something, you know, either send an email to me or I uh, post it at Classic Horror Film Board. So I'm going to ask you this question because it has to do with the category that I'm always in. But to get there, I want to right. mention the best the best magazine category. I, I saw that this year, and I think you've done this in previous years. On the ballot, you've got one category for best magazine, but when you announce the awards, it's been divvied up in between classic and modern magazine. Uh, was there a particular reason for that? And then I'll get to my next question about the multimedia category. The mainstream magazines like Rue Morgue, Horror Hound, Fangoria when it was publishing, uh, some of the British magazines have much larger circulations than, say, Monsters from the Vault or uh, even Scary Monsters or Scream with two E's. And the bigger magazines were just obviously winning. Um, and, you know, Rue Morgue has won something like eight times in a row, I think. Um, and before that video watchdog, which was a, you know, a mainstream newsstand magazine was winning and the smaller magazines, um, which I won't call them fanzines because that has a mimeograph <laughs> feel, but you know, yeah. you know, which are designed and produced, especially with printing these days, as good as anything, just weren't getting the recognition. And to me, they were kind of the heart of what we were trying to get at. So I just quietly split it up. I didn't want to start another category because I, I think there'd be arguments over what's modern. I thought about maybe we could say newsstand, but, you know. So I just split it up and give two awards okay. in the magazine category. is probably the easiest way to describe it. And, yeah, that's a little, huh? But, you know, to be able to say the Scary Monsters can say this year they're the best classic magazine, which is what they're aiming for. And room, I think, yeah, room work one, mm-hmm. um, which is under a new e- new editor now, and um, it has scaled back, but it's still a very classy magazine, not classic but classy. You know, it's the best of both worlds. Sure. So, hopefully, <laughs> hey, your awards, you do what you're going to do. You know, <laughs> it's up to you. But I also, I totally understand what you're getting at, though. Too. I mean, room work, while they may do a, a hammer issue or something like that, you're right. It's it's more modern horror versus what Scary Monsters does or, or any of these others. Uh, Famous Monsters seems to be kind of in the middle when that's actually being published, but yeah, these days. Well, the reason I ask is I wanted to lead into the multimedia category, which isn't just podcasts. Um, 
I mean, you've got YouTube videos yep. like, uh, you know, my dear friend Larry, the fantastic films of Vincent Price, uh, Dr. Gangrene's series is just amazing, but it's not a podcast. It's a YouTube series. So you've got like podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got stuff doing modern horror, like bloody good horror, which is great. But then you've got people like Damn Dirty Geeks, me, the Kaiju cast being a little bit more specific to uh, a monster movie you know, uh, vibe. Has there been questions or consideration to maybe split that category up a little bit more? Uh, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. In this era, almost every website, even the most text-driven, has some multimedia content. Okay. As opposed to maybe five, six years ago. And, you know, there are now video there are podcasts, and as you say, there are video sites. You know, like Erie is on there. Yeah. Erie Television, I think it's called. Erie Late Night. And, you know, there are, uh, what is it, The Vortex, which just shows horror host videos. You know, so there's a video category. There's a podcast category. There's a kind of just text uh, tribute to Vincent Price category. And I'm, I'm actually, for cost reasons, I don't want to add new categories. Sure. So there are two ways. You could make everything, like best online site you know, just flat, the best online site. Mm -hmm. But I think there'd be too many, too many. So uh, I don't know. As of now, we split it into two. If it was purely best podcast, that would be quite a gunfight at OK Corral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sites you mentioned and the others you didn't, you know, are really active. Sure. And, um, there are some sites that are just latest horror news. And it's hard for, to make a distinction between them. You know, and they, they all look great and are very updated. So I think it comes down to the voice, not, not so much the podcast voice, but just the voice of the site, okay. how they present the images. But yeah, we're struggling with that. And uh, one other problem is like the kind of the branding of some sites is like you're Monster Kid Radio and that's what you are, Monster Kid Radio. Mm -hmm. But like Shockwaves is presented by Blumhouse, which is a major horror uh company now going into movies and as smart stuff as you can have but they were purchased i may get this wrong by 13th floor and similarly with eerie tv they run the monster channel which is a separate entity so sometimes it's hard to know just what the site is um mm -hmm. so sometimes we'll po we'll post the list and have to like really fix it like in the first day or two um which we had to do a couple times this year so it, it's obviously the future of communication, the whole podcast website thing. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have to figure that out. But yes. Yeah, so well, I, and I want to make it clear to listeners, and, and I hope, I mean, and to you, I, I'm not suggesting that, I mean, the fact that Monster Kid Radio is in there with like Blumhouse or anything like, I'm not, no, there's no sour grapes or anything. I, I don't want anybody to think that. There's no drama here. Uh, all of these podcasts are in these websites, these multimedia sites are amazing. I have friends who work at uh, Bloody Good Horror. Uh, you know, I, Damn Dirty Geeks is wonderful. You know, all these, these shows, Six Foot Plus is fantastic. You know, these guys are great. And uh, I mean, just to have my show listed amongst all of these, it's just such an honor. I mean, it, it's so amazing that I get to say I was nominated on the same ballot as the Ray Harryhausen podcast. I mean, that that's that's something, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and one, one phenomenon, you know, and I, I'm not as immune to this as I should be, but sometimes when I drop people from the listing, either because um, it's kind of the site is not as active as it used to be, or frankly, sometimes things just don't get any votes. You know, not it, don't get any, but don't get a lot of votes mm -hmm. and just in an effort to keep it churning 
I'll remove a thing. You know, and you get an email. God, you're listing everybody. Why are, am I no longer listed? You know, which would be an argument for just do five and be done with it. But so, but I, you know, I wrangle all that and I deal with it. And mm-hmm. uh, I think when people realize it's just me, <laughs> <laughs> then maybe maybe they cut me some slack. It's a one man show, man. You know, it's it, it's again sixteen years you've been doing it now. That's pretty special. That's yeah. amazing that you've been working on it this long, yeah. this hard. We've given out. I added it up a year or two ago. Like by now, it must be over four hundred statues are out there mm. um wow in hollywood it's like what you don't have a rondo you know <laughs> <laughs> well they're all at del toro's house is the thing you know that's <laughs> right, right. That's... um tim lucas has a has a ton yeah there you go I met Tom Weaver at a Monster Bash years ago and asked him to be on the show and we were chatting and I said Tom and, and you're the winner of a rondo award and he stopped me no I'm the winner of several Rondo Awards. <laughs> like, oh, okay, okay, Tom. <laughs> and well-deserved. <laughs> One funny thing is, I mean, we order them, they get cast. They're resin. My wife just sent me a note, not clay. So, ah. um, we paint them, you know, the, the bases, the plastic bases are expensive. And if it comes down to you getting one or Grandma Del Toro getting one, like literally, which one do I mail? It would be better for the awards if I mail it to Grandma Del Toro because of the publicity of that. But what the awards are about are you. So I, I always default to the more fan-based recipient. And yeah, uh, Del Toro does have one eventually. But there are a lot of people who are pretty prominent who have not gotten one because I figure, okay, I'll get one to him eventually. And as an example, at the Rick Baker thing last night, he won two best covers. He painted best covers for famous monsters uh, and won twice in the last four years. And I just never got the rondos to him, figuring he has seven Oscars. He has a couple of rondos already. And I went up to him after this amazing event last night. And I, you know, I felt awkward. I had this little like uh, gift bag that Eileen, my wife had bought to give it to him. You know, he's so distinctive with the white ponytail and everything. And I said, I said, Rick, it is totally inappropriate to be giving you this at this time because you just won this major Monster Palooza uh, industry award. He says, what's this? I said, uh, believe it or not, it's the two Rondos. And he smiled. He turned to me and smiled and said, I was wondering where those were. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and because I was feeling this is going to be really awkward and awful. And he made me feel so great. And he took the bag and he gave it to one of his daughters or whatever. And um, it made me feel, okay, everything works out in the end. And um, so for those of you out there who have not received your dutifully won Rondo yet, it will come. I think that speaks to Rick Baker, though, too. I mean, you're giving him the award and he turned around and made you feel totally great about the experience. I mean, that, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and Rick Baker is uh, in the Hall of Fame with a handful of other people. Why is Riku Browning not in the Hall of Fame, man? <laughs> That's right. That, that is true, and it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Um, uh, the Hall of Fame is is the most. Um, get a lot. We get a lot of suggestions from voters, and a lot of people say, like, why is Boris Karloff not there? Or why is uh, Bell Lugosi not there? And it's Monster Kid Hall of Fame is more the second generation of monster fans. It's it's kind of the world of fandom and not so much. So, you know, Christopher Lee's not there. Um, 
amazing people are out there. The first recipients were Ackerman and Warren and Zachary and Vampira and uh, I forget who the two others were. There, there's hundreds now in the Hall of Fame, so we'll get to folks, uh, hopefully. <laughs> the bad thing is when people pass away before, like for years people have said June Foray, the voice actor. Mm-hmm. It, w- it would always be, you know, there's a group of us who kick around the names like on the last two nights. And we try to make it a mix of horror hosts and, you know, uh, originals and, you know, maybe pure fans. And it was always, ah, maybe next time. There's a lot of people who should be in it. Well, there's only so many awards you can give out a year, right? Right. I mean, literally hundreds of us are out there. I like this format because I'd like to talk about some of the drawbacks. Another drawback of the award as it has mm-hmm. grown is just diversity. Someone did a survey of this year's nomination or an analysis and found I forget what the number was, but it was like 94% maybe of the named nominees were men, which we're aware of, you know, that, that, that is a problem. And, you know, oh, it's a male-dominated field and all that. That doesn't cut it anymore. So we are working to make that better. Uh, I think that analysis did not take into account the many women who are behind the scenes on a lot of these things. For example, Heather Buckley of, of Red Shirt Pictures. Mm-hmm who does a lot of the uh, DVD extras and sets up commentaries and sets up interviews and things like that on the extras, has won two rondos, even though her name wasn't on the ballot, her work was. Um, Similarly, the editors of Rue Morgue and Famous Monsters and Diabolique and uh, or publishers of uh, Scary Monsters and other magazines are women, though their names aren't mentioned. And April Snellings, I believe, was our first female best writer a year or two ago. And she writes for Rue Morgue and other things. So we're aware of that, let alone African-Americans. I won't say there has never been one, but uh, I can't think of of an African-American winner. And what was so nice this year was uh, Shape of Water barely beat uh, Get Out. Get Out is an amazing film, and oh, yeah. everyone should really see it, as, as is Shape of Water. So we need to work on that on both the nomination process and in just how we handle the awards generally. Mm-hmm. But yes, monster kids were mostly, you know, white boys growing up in the 50s and 60s. And that's just not true anymore. And uh, we need to reflect that. I think it's indicative of the industry overall. You know, we really do need right. to embrace the diversity because there are a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, are, aren't just us white guys who love this stuff. I know of a woman right now who is working on a book on Millicent Patrick. And I mean, th- that's amazing right. and to bring her point of view to, you know, this topic that is so relevant to all of us monster kids is going to be amazing. I can't wait to read that book. Well, the Saska sisters, Jovanto Vukovic, the woman who directed Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. During Women in Horror Month in February, there was, uh, I don't know if they got to 28, but there were daily videos by by women directors. So it's a vibrant part of the field, um, a really vibrant part of the field. And um, we look forward to reflecting that far better. Yeah. I mean, it's super important to have that that voice and that point of view. I mean, one of the... Uh, things that I love about some of the classic monster movies that I've loved so much are, are the women, the, the actresses, Evelyn Anchors, Julie Adams. You know, I mean, these people are just as important to these movies and these stories as, say, like the Lon Chaney or the Ben Chapmans. And I am glad to see that we're starting to see more representation on that side of things 
now. I, I think there's a long way to go, and that's awesome to hear that you're, you know, really looking ahead of the Rondos as well in that way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so and I hold my feet to the fire on that. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein would be half the film it is without Elsa Lanchester, even Dracula, uh-huh. Helen Chandler, and um, almost all those films. Yeah, Evelyn Ash yeah, and the Wolfman. They just they bring peril and and heroism and defiance and um, classic heroines never run. They, they they seem to stand their ground. The original Final Girls. You know, good stuff. I mean, one of my favorite women characters is Lady Jane Ainsley from The Return of the Vampire. I mean, it's just you know they they didn't run. They they stood their ground alongside everybody else. Sometimes more than anybody else, and that's that's one of the things that I love about this. And I'm excited to see how that continues to be reflected in future awards at the Rondos. I want to go back to 1995 with you, David, because there's an essay that you wrote uh, years ago. October of 95 is when it was published on AOL, and there are a few places you can find it now. Uh, online. Uh, the one that I'm looking at right now is over at Carrie Gamble's site. Okay. Uh, and it's just an essay called The Monster Kids. And you ask us to read it in black and white, please. And is this where the term monster kid really kind of took off? Are you the person who kind of came up with that term? Uh, in the way it's being used now, yes. Wow. And so do I owe you a royalty check for Monster <laughs> Kid Radio? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, there was, there was something... Um it was a monster kid cartoon that Curry and a bunch of people put together, which was about like a, a kid wolf man and a kid Dracula. And they called it monster kids. And they, you can buy it like uh, a DVD of it someplace. I don't know. And they tried to syndicate it and get it on, on TV, but it, it didn't happen. But I wrote this essay, kind of a reverie about what it was like to watch, you know, chiller theater in 1958 or 1962 and Zachary and, um, sitting cross-legged in front of a black and white TV. And towards the end of it, it just struck me that Bella Lugosi is dead, but not us. Edward Van Sloan is gone, but not us, the monster kids. That phrase just came. And it was at the very end of the essay. It wasn't what a monster kid is. And it really struck everybody. I, I Me, it, it just, and it kind of took off. I mean, Bob Burns's book was called uh, Monster Kid Memories and Kerry started a, a website called Monster Kid Online. In years since, I posted every Halloween at the Classic Horror Film Board. And um, I said, this is, you know, I have this intro now that says, you know, this is how the, uh, the phrase uh, originated. And somebody said, I guess David Colton has never heard the Misfits album where, you know, there's a cut where either called the Monster Kids or the phrase is Monster Kids. And sure, um, long before me. But I think in terms of it being used as a term for us, monster fans who remember before there was a monster community. Yeah, I, I think that did originate uh, the use of monster kids now where, you know, there are documentaries, there are uh, phrases, there are uh, books. So, yeah, it's kind of cool that essay led to all that. I'm very aware that I'm not one of the quote-unquote original monster kids, given when I grew up and when I was born. Uh, I, I do refer to myself as, as like a second-generation um, <laughs> monster kid X because I'm part of Generation X as well. Uh, but to read – there's so much in this this essay that you wrote that still resonates with me, and I, I love the line. The older the films get, the more distant the players and the more obscure the sources, somehow the younger we become. And I, I just – I love that line and uh, – 
like I said, I'm very aware that I'm not one of the original Monster Kids, but I, I feel that so <laughs> so deeply as well. Well, well, thank you. I, uh, it means a lot. Well, thanks. Uh, it's funny. They say, write what you know, and that's what I know. So um, it just came out. The Monster community is alive and well. I gave Elvira her Hall of Fame yesterday at Monster Palooza, and there must have been 800, 1,000 people in the room. I mean, it was pretty packed. It was a, it's a very big theater that there. You know, I was a little tentative because I came on to end it. Now David Colton has a surprise. You know, I said, I'm from the Rondo Awards, and it was kind of silent. I said, so uh, how many of you voted out there? And there was, like, applause, and I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't expect uh, everybody wearing a black T-shirt, which was everybody, to have... <laughs> <laughs> That's the uniform to these conventions. Didn't you, you didn't know that you didn't get that memo? That's what I say. It's not black tie. It's black T-shirt. Um, <laughs> there was just a roar, a roar when I, when I gave her the award, and you know, and I said about Elvira, I said as silly as her character was when she began in the 1980s, there was no um, there were no conventions, there was no internet where you could just go online and talk to other fans. There was famous monsters, and then Fangoria, and. Elvira, in her own way, always gave a wink to the audience and always said, these films are worth something, as silly as they are. And she kept these movies alive at a time when nobody else was. I don't think she had heard things like that before. You know, usually it's like, you know, I, you know you're great and, and things like that. Um, and she seemed to really appreciate uh, the way we handled all that. And it was, it was a nice moment. But she's a monster kid. <laughs> as much as anybody else. I've had a chance to, to meet her and chat with her. And yeah, she's just as down to earth and genuine as anybody else you'll meet. And uh, get her talking about Vincent Price and, and uh-huh. you know, have a hard time walking away because she, <laughs> she loved that. Yeah, man. she's really smart and yeah. Yeah. Where do you see the future of the Rondos going? I used to joke, you know, in a conspiratorial way. I used to say to Tim Lucas, someday the Rondos will be televised. <laughs> um <laughs> And that hasn't quite happened. Um, you know, a, a few people have uh, have wondered about it, even made inquiries about it. But, you know, horror on television or even horror online is very, you know, modern mainstream. And it's hard not to have the best decapitation category. I don't know how many people would want to sit through, you know, best article or best interview winners. But on the flip side, we do a ceremony at Wonderfest in Louisville. This year it'll be on Saturday, June 2nd which is black t-shirt, not black tie. And some, <laughs> some uh, winners are there and get up and make speeches, and it's very heartfelt. And then recently, people have been sending in video acceptances. Sven Gulli sent in an acceptance where Gilbert Gottfried shows up and starts saying how uh, talentless Sven Gulli is. You know, this guy, you know, and... Uh, it's really, it's really funny. And, you know, we've, we've had videos from Japan and England, and uh, it's really, really nice because they to ask somebody to fly to Louisville, we're not going to, you know, we don't pay for them to come or anything, is not really realistic. So in the world of, you know, you can take an iPhone video and just email it, and then I can convert it and, and play it on the big screen at, at, the, at the ceremony, is fun. I do have all the videos, and I'm not big on it. I, I don't know really how to edit that stuff in a, in a coherent way, but, but you could put together a pretty, uh, what do they call it, uh, thrill reel or whatever those are called. I've seen, I've seen clips. Uh, I know some people have recorded videos at the awards. Um, 
dear friend Vince Rotolo, who passed away and then was inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, I did watch that clip yeah. uh, just because you know, I'm friends with Nick and Mary and them. And just to see that was long deserved uh, for those guys because that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. It was very emotional. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and you even went in and, I don't know if it was you who did it, but somebody went in and pulled a clip from a B-Movie cast episode to play for The Room, and that was just a thrill to watch. Right. Well, David, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. You've got a busy convention happening, man. Are, are you planning on hitting the floor, or are you done with Monster Palooza? <laughs> no, I mean, the best days at Monster Palooza are Friday and Sunday because it's quieter, and, and, and Sunday is the, is much more of the cosplay folks. Um, oh, okay. Some of the some of the getups are just amazing, um, just amazing. You know, but yesterday I talked to Nell Campbell, who played Little Nell in Rocky Horror Picture Show, and um, Barry Boswick, who played uh, Brad of, of Brad and Janet fame. You know, and then there are a lot of people who are in you know uh, Friday the Thirteenth Twenty Two, who you know have huge lines. Sarah Karloff is here, and Bella Lugosi Jr. is here, and the Cheney family are here. Um, ba- oh, Basil wow. Gagos is, uh, I don't know if they were married, but uh, partner is here. Mike Hill is here. All the companies are here. Um, there's people in makeup everywhere. So it's, it's just, if you, can, if you can ever get out here, this is the big one in, in what are we, in April. And uh, there's a son of Monster Palooza, which is a bit smaller and more accessible in October. And they're wonderful, as is Wonderfest, which is in Louisville in June, and the Monster Bash in Pittsburgh, also later in June, which I'll be at, so I, I can see you there, Derek. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to have you come by. Like, I'm going to have a table there this year. I'll be recording there and playing the Classic Five with people, and just it's going to be a lot of fun. One of these years, I'm going to get to Monster Palooza. I, I, I want to go. Um, my friends from the Kaiju cast are there this weekend as well, and I know they're running around having a blast. I'm watching their posts online and making me infinitely jealous, but then I get to go to Monster Bash in June and they don't. So, you know, I think it evens out. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's funny. It's mostly an East Coast thing, East Coast and Midwest thing. Um, there are not a lot of conventions on the West Coast. The ones there are are more just autograph things where, you know, it's mo- it's mostly people from sitcoms and things like that. And there are a few horror things, you know, the, the Pittsburgh area especially seems to be horror heaven. I guess that's because of the night of the living dead, but it's fun. Well, have a good rest of your show. I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me and I can't wait to see you again in person at Monster Bash this year. All right. And I thank you for the interest. Um, for any viewers out there, uh, listeners out there, um, you can find the Rondo Awards at rondoawards.com singular. It turned out Rondo Awards is a separate award given out by some kind of uh, industrial company or something. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I, was, okay. I, was, I was unable to get Rondo Awards. So I had to get Rondo Award. So um, it's a Rondo Award singular. And you'll see this year's winners, the ballots, past ballots, um, a lot of what we were talking about. So I'm really happy that you had me on and I really appreciate it. You know, we've been kind of chasing each other around a little bit, too, trying to get you on. So I'm, I'm glad it finally happened. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net to rondoaward.com so people can check that out. And I can't wait to see what ends up on the ballot next year. Thanks, Eric. And to all the monster kids out there, thank you. Rondo Award 
Facebook.com. There's a link in the show notes. There's a link to the Facebook page if you're following Monster Kid Radio on Facebook. It's right there. You can't miss it. And don't just look at this year's ballot and winners. Look at all the previous years as well because there's some great content. Books, magazines, movies, DVD, commentaries, extras, articles, and back when there were collectibles part of the ballot. I mean, there's some really neat stuff here. Congratulations once again to everybody who won a Rondo Award and everybody who was on the ballot. And I meant it when I told David, I cannot wait to see what is on the ballot next year. Thanks again, David, and I hope you had a good rest of your Monster Palooza weekend. I see you marrying a corpse, living in a grave. The vampire can assume very many different forms at will. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way, it can move unseen among its enemies. Son of Dracula, searing the screen with new terror in this weird tale of the living dead who rise from the grave at night to prey on unsuspecting victims. With Louise Albritton, Robert Page, Evelyn Ankers, Frank Craven, J. Edward Bromberg, and Lon Chaney as the new Count Dracula, you'll shudder at the screen's most fascinating woman vampire, luring men with cold beauty and the promise of immortality. Count Alucard is immortal. Through him, I attained immortality. Through me, you will do the same. Radio Workshop. The award-winning Willamette Radio Workshop returns for the 19th annual UFO Festival in McMinnville, Oregon. Two live radio shows at the Hotel Oregon in Maddie's room at 3 p.m. Saturday the 19th. Isaac Asimov's Pebble in the Sky and Craig Kenworthy's Herf, the Extra-Dimensional Assassin. Tales of future worlds with a modern edge. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll wonder when the mothership arrives. Free admission with food and beverages available. All ages are welcome. Live radio lives at McMiniman's 19th Annual UFO Festival. Don't miss it. Now, Giant Entertainment. Giant Terror. The War of the Gargantuan and Monster Zero. Do you see anything? From a planet 50 million miles beyond the stars came a strange message. Lend us your Rodan and Godzilla to fight our Monster Zero. Earth answered. And the most dreaded creatures ever to walk our planet are lifted into outer space. The stage is set for the mightiest battle ever seen by the universe in Monster Zero. All forces on Earth ready to attack. What started out as a call for help from space 
turns into a nightmare of terror on Earth, Monster Zero. And the War of the Gargantua. It began with a mysterious, wild storm at sea. And before the night was over, the whole world would hear of the terror of the Gargantuans. Where had such a monster come from? What forces created such a devastating destroyer? Who or what could stand up to it? Armies fought the monster with million-volt laser beams. Hey, look! Another one! You'll see all of their terrifying battle to the death when you come to the greatest monster movies ever made. The War of the Gantuas and Monster Zero. As we go through this 200th year of Frankenstein here on Monster Kid Radio, I've been referencing quite a few books and documentaries, online resources, that sort of thing. One book that I'm finding invaluable, and unfortunately I didn't really, quote unquote, get this book when I first bought the book years ago. But now as I read Frankenstein, A Cultural History by Susan Tyler Hitchcock, I'm finding it to be really, really good. It's a fantastic look at Frankenstein in not just cultural history, but pop cultural history. And it's actually this book that made me aware of a short French film called, and forgive me, I don't speak French any more than I speak Spanish, German, or anything else we try to pronounce here on the show. Torticola Contre Frankenstein. I screwed that up, didn't I? Torticola Contre Frankensburg which translates to Torticola against Frankensburg. Torticola is a character's name. In fact, that's the name of the monster in this short film, which came out, like I said, in France. It's 1952. Now, when I first read about it in Hitchcock's book, I thought it was a silent film. But no, it's actually a short film. In fact, it might have even been a serial. The version of the movie that I was able to find is pieced together as one long video clip or video file. However, there are chapter starts and stops. There are titles or interstitials between scenes to remind us of what happened last time and what's coming up next. The chapters even have individual names. So I can't help but wonder if maybe this was released as a serial at one point or if the filmmaker, a director by the name of Paul Paviol, did this on purpose to try to mimic the style of an old serial or pulp film. The version of the film that I was able to track down as well also, I think, included some ads for local businesses, but I'm not really sure. Now, the movie is in French, but I did find a fan sub version of the movie, meaning I found a set of subtitles produced by a fan and sync them up to watch this short film. It runs just barely over half an hour long. Hitchcock's book refers to the monster in this as like a screw-top Frankenstein's monster. And that's not exactly what you see here. It is a Frankenstein's monster. It's a monster put together by Dr. Frankenstein, or in this case, Frankensberg. But when the movie starts, he's already up and about and walking around and speaking even. In fact, the very beginning of this movie has Torticola, the monster, played by, man, I really need to learn some French, Michel Piccoli. I just said it like it was an Italian name. Michael Piccoli. 
the monster, Torticola, walks around, raises his arms up and screams a lot. It's actually played for comedy, and you can tell this right from the very beginning. Some of it, I think, is probably lost on me because this is clearly for a French audience. I want to tell you, though, I really enjoyed watching it. It's a little weird. There are some spots that are like, huh? I don't get it. And there are a few points here and there where the characters are speaking directly to the camera, like acknowledging that the camera's there, acknowledging the audience, speaking directly to the audience. I don't know if this is a thing in French film in the 50s or if it was just done for comedic purposes, but it happens. It doesn't take you out of the story, though, but it does make you painfully aware that you are watching a movie, a construct, as opposed to just getting absorbed in the story, even though it does have chapter breaks. The doctor himself, Dr. Frankensberg, is played by Roger Blin. Perhaps it's pronounced Roger Blin. He looks really good. Uh, he acts really well. He's actually my favorite character in this piece, and he's the villain, flat out the villain. There's no mistaking what he's doing as anything but villainous. He's got an orphan girl named Lorelai who lives with him. He's kind of her guardian, I think. But she's there and she's the damsel in distress who uh, becomes friend with a cat person. Yeah, uh, we learn at one point that Frankensberg took his, uh, his rival, somebody he did not like, a fellow scientist type, and uh, swapped the brain of his rival's son with that of a cat. And so this guy is constantly on the ground. He's got a very stylized mustache that probably designed to look like their cat whiskers. Uh, just kind of meowing all the time and, and licking the back of his hand like it's a paw. Um, okay. So Frankensberg is a mad scientist type, clearly. He's not just the maker of a Frankenstein's or a Frankensberg's monster here. He is clearly a mad scientist here. And he's trying to give the monster blood. The monster needs blood for some reason, and he's going to take it from Lorelei, from a, a, a tube that's injected into her, but it runs to his mouth, so he's basically drinking the blood, but the monster doesn't want anything to do with it, and ultimately breaks free. And, and during the third chapter, the third act, there's a lot of references to the Invisible Man. <laughs> Just out of the blue, people keep walking into the surgical room asking if they've seen the Invisible Man. Let that sink in for a second. Okay. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure where that came from. Now, this movie did come out in 1952, uh, which was four years after Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and that kind of comedic monster rally mold has been set by the boys and the monsters over at Universal. So I can't help but wonder if that influenced a lot of what's happening here. I don't know anything about the filmmakers here. Because this is a short film and relatively obscure, I, I had to search quite a bit to find it online. There's just something about this movie that, I mean, it's infinitely watchable. I'd watch it again. I'd host to this movie. In fact, while I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, if I ever put together a compilation video, DVD, or even just a YouTube project of like some sort of Frankenstein visual mixtape or whatever, if this is in the public domain and there isn't a copyright issue, I would certainly love to include this in a video like that. I and mean, there are some really neat things happening here. And the monster is unique looking. Now, he looks more Gollum than monster. And what I mean is the silent film, the Gollum. He is very stylized, very bulky, and 
doesn't really have a lot of scars or stitching, although during the third chapter we get a lot of close-ups of his face, and you can kind of see either where the makeup lines are, the mask fits, or, or maybe they are supposed to be scars, and, and where the pieces were stitched together. Not really sure. That said, I'd like to go back and watch this again. There are some really interesting lines here. There, there are a few bits here and there, and, and I don't know how accurate they are because, again, I'm relying on a subtitled track created by a fan, so I don't know how reliable it is, but at one point there's a woman that accuses the monster, Torticola, of eating dead people. He's hanging out in a cemetery. He's referred to as a necrophage. Uh, it's just kind of wonky. Plus, there's this... I guess she's a witch character maybe she's a gypsy that can be summoned into the surgical room when somebody flips a switch on this mad scientist looking panel the scalpels that are being used during the surgery sequence where they're trying to get the blood from the Lorelei to the monster uh, they're being sharpened by somebody on a grinding stone just kind of in the corner it's bizarre I highly recommend it, if for nothing else, just to kind of get a different take on what different parts of the world were doing with the Frankenstein monster. While we here in America were kind of coasting on the fumes of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and the little bits here and there that we'd see of Frankenstein in the pop culture. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to this book, Frankenstein, A Cultural History. If you follow the link in the show notes and purchase the book that way, we get a small kickback because we're an Amazon affiliate. When I say small, it's probably like 10 sense. I don't really know what it is because I don't sell enough to really uh, see any kind of checks from them. But eventually, you know, maybe we'll have enough to pay for a cup of coffee or a bottle of plasma, which you do see in this movie as well. Oh, and a couple of books by Sigmund Freud turn up. Yeah, It's a bizarre movie, but it is part of the Frankenstein history. Maneuver completed, link up accomplished successfully, starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of the red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Help me! Mission Mission Mars. Mars.
men in that satellite will die. And yet you propose to follow this tenth failure with another attempt, using more of your volunteers? The future come to life today. The fantastic story of Project Sigma. Earth's first manned satellite for the invasion of outer space. Monstrous space rockets propelled at the speed of light through the solar system and the galaxies, joining in the cosmos to travel to worlds beyond. War of the satellites. From unseen, unknown planets comes a warning of horror that the United Nations cannot ignore. We are obviously in the grip of a force stronger than we can oppose. The invasion of Earth by a race of supermen from outer space, possessing the weird power of duplicating themselves indefinitely. Creatures taking on human form, yet impervious to any destructive force known to man. Look out. terrors of space travel, the first death and burial in the cosmic void, millions of miles away. An insidious enemy on board, trying to stop man from reaching beyond the limits of our own solar system. Sigma barrier dead ahead. Crash emergency. All hands secure for blast. Should we just dive in? All right. You want to make a really loud sound? Bah! That actually spooked me. <laughs> I knew it was coming and it still scared me. Welcome to the email <laughs> section of the show where I, I uh, try to sync up the two audio tracks off two different recording devices with a loud sound. And apparently I... Spooked. I'll have to check my chair before I go sit back <gasps> down in front of my computer. Wasn't that sure. scared? Okay. <laughs> So I'm on the couch this time. You're in front of the computer. You've got the emails. You should tell them why you're on the couch this time. Why am I on the couch this time? Because I was too wiggly with the microphone. Oh, right. I messed up the audio. I can't be trusted with my own mic that I have to touch. Gotcha. Okay. You can't be trusted with the microphone. That's right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm also trying real hard not to be very loud. I know. You're so quiet over there. It's so weird, man. (laughs) How did we used to do this or did we just not It was just always difficult. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. I mean, we could Skype each other and you could go to another room. That would be awful. Oh, is is the audio quality still questionable? It's not that great and I like being able to look at you. (laughs) It's better for the conversation flow. True. Yes. Okay. Speaking of conversation flow. Yes, let's let flow start into flowing. this. Okay. Hello, Derek and Brenda. Hi. I- <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I imagine now that your lovely wife is reading feedback, you can discontinue the telephone call-in number. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I really enjoy Brenda's participation in the shows. It's a very charming and sometimes a bit revealing. I feel like I'm getting to know you a little better. 
I kind of felt bad that we dove into <laughs> kind of personal stuff last time, huh? Well, and I don't know if getting to know me a little bit better is a good thing or not, Jeff. So uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's who sent this email, by the way, is Jeff. But anyway. <laughs> oh, my vote is yes. Okay. It's a good thing. Oh, well, you're biased. <laughs> <laughs> also contractually required to say that. That's not how our marriage works. <laughs> we don't have like a 75-page John Cena Nikki Bella contract. <laughs> Look at you with a wrestling reference. You know? It's who I am. Derek is convinced it's a ploy because John Cena is becoming a a heel. A work. Oh, He may become a heel. Okay. squashed by The Undertaker in like less than three minutes. He got what? Squashed. Like totally wiped. The Undertaker whooped him at WrestleMania. And that makes somebody a heel? Well, you know, it would change. I, I would think if The Undertaker beat me up, it would change me. Oh, so he's becoming heelish in response to getting well, squashed. I don't know what the response is yet, but leading up to it, like he was trying to call out The Undertaker for, this is not the wrestling podcast. <laughs> if I had all the time in the world, I'd do a wrestling podcast, but I don't, and that's not what we're doing here. Jeff wants to learn more about you. Oh, okay. You Jeff, just... I like professional wrestling. <laughs> when do you watch it? I don't know when you have the time. I like on breaks and stuff. I don't watch like every single match because there are some people I don't like, but there are some people I do. Hmm. All right. Anyways. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Great work on recent episodes. I don't have anything to add. You've had a run of movies I need to watch, though. One of these days, I'll I'll get caught up and be prepared for the show ahead of time. I guess I have two questions for you. Have you seen either The Maze, 1953, or Grave of the Vampire, 1972? I watched them for the first time this week and enjoyed them both. I know there's at least one fan of Grave of the Vampire out there. Alan Trump commented on my Facebook post that he loves that movie. One last thing I want to, as as I'm sure you both do, give huge congratulations to my podcasting partner, Rich Chamberlain, on his upcoming nuptials this Saturday. I've met and spent time with the future Miss Chamberlain, and I'm so happy for both of them. Until next time, Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Film Club. I'm also. Sorry. Jeff has one more thing to say. Oh. Be sure to put my name on a deck of the Classic Five cards. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Maze or Grave of the Vampire? I think the most important thing is Rich. <laughs> oh, I was waiting here. for the end because I'm so excited for him. It's okay, been a okay. rough, it's been a lot of change. And he seems to have sailed through it smoothly. He's very, very happy. Oh. He is very happy. This email actually came in a couple weeks back. So they are now married. Oh, yeah. The wedding has happened. There yeah. are pictures on his Facebook page. Yes. If you're going to be a Monster Bash, he and Carla will both be there. So I'll get to meet Carla. You'll get to meet Carla if you're at Monster Bash. She seems awesome. And Rich is a uh, a gentleman with very fine taste, if, <laughs> if any indication. Uh, he hangs out with me, I guess <laughs> what I'm saying. And, well, and Jeff, too. And Jeff's pretty awesome. Uh, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm very, very happy for him. Very, yes, very happy. And I'm grateful that something so amazing came into his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When they picked me up at the airport last year, going to last year's Monster Bash, the minute it came up in the car, just this look of joy washed over Aww. him. It was pretty amazing. He was pretty special. He deserves it. Yeah, he does. He's a good guy. He really is. He's a good guy. Uh, Grave of the Vampire, I think I've seen it, but I'm not 100% sure. Darn, I'll have to go back and watch, watch it or rewatch it again. But The Maze from 1953, I love. 
Uh, it stars Richard Carlson. It's very Lovecraftian. Mm. It is such a cool movie. I think it's out on Blu-ray now or will be coming out on Blu-ray later this year. Uh, I've actually been kind of strongly hinting to Brian and Gwen Callahan of the Lovecraft Film Festival that it would play really well there. Uh, it's really, really neat. Uh, Richard Carlson did not do enough genre work. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit for his non-creature from the Black Lagoon work. Uh, he did a handful of genre films, and The Maze is one of my absolute favorites that he did. It is such a good movie. You know, I um, I don't like anything that has super obvious Lovecraftian, I don't know, monsters in it video-wise, but I love a good modern book with the Elder Gods, and I'm thinking of Clive? Klein. Peter Klein? Klein. Peter Klein. Is it Klein. Peter Klein's? Yeah, I think so. The guy who did like the Ex-Patriots and Ex-Heroes series. He also yes. did The Fold. And then what was the other? The 14. First? 14. I have yeah. listened to 14 multiple times. And uh, good book. we met him once. He's such a nice guy. Yep. Yeah. Didn't Super he cool offer guy. that I could sit down? Huh? I could sit down at a con. I think he offered me a seat. Oh, did he? That's awesome. Maybe not. I don't. Maybe it sounds like something he'd maybe do. Maybe I've just decided I like his books so much. <laughs> <laughs> he would be the kind of guy who'd be like, oh, yeah. "Rest your seat, rest I've, your feet." I follow his blog. He's a super helpful, um, inspiring guy when it comes to like writing. He's a lot of writing advice. Uh, he's done a lot with books and working on screenplays and things like that as well. Um, as far as the Lovecraftian influences on the maze. It's not overt. It's not like, and at the center of the maze, it's Cthulhu. It's not like that. Um, <laughs> you see some tentacles rising up. But and then I he's say, like, it's my face. <laughs> That's my beard. <laughs> it's got like this family curse thing, which is something Lovecraft would play with every once in a while. This mm-hmm. kind of heretical, heretical, hereditarily, or hereditary, curse, it's- heritage, family. Well, that would just suck. So it's not like um, the ability to see through to the, you know, past the veil to Cthulhu land or yeah, no, you don't (laughs) go to Cthulhu land. That doesn't that doesn't happen. You're saying like somebody somewhere in the genealogical history did something really stupid. Well, everybody in the bloodline is cursed. (laughs) Not not quite like that either. (laughs) And there is a monster in it that is kind of rubbery, squishy squamous, but. Squamous. Squamous. Oh, we're talking about Lovecraft. I wanted to use one of his adjectives. But no, it's a really, really good movie. I love The Maze. I would love to see it on the big screen, and I would love to see it in 3D, because it was originally released in 3D. So cool. That means Carlson's been in at least three 3D films. Huh. This one, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it came from outer space. Huh. Maybe they should have called it 3C. Uh-huh. For uh. three Carlson. No. No, honey. Three dimensions. Uh, Whether or not we want to keep the voicemails. The voicemail line. Oh, yeah. Of course I'm going to keep the voicemail line. That's how I'm going to get voicemails like this one from Steve Sullivan I'm going to put in right now. Oh. Hey, Derek. Steve Sullivan. Probably too late for this week's call-in, but hey, call-ins are timeless, so what are you going to do? A couple of things I wanted to say. First was I wanted to give a slight correction about Chill. You could say I was part of the design team on Chill, but I'm definitely not the designer of Chill. 
the designer of Chill would be Mark Akers, and maybe you could say Michael Williams, Troy Denning, a uh, couple of other people. I was part of that team. I was the art director, but I can in no way claim responsibility for being the game designer. That's a very specific kind of credit, and you wouldn't say that I was the game designer of that any more than you would say that I was the author of Joshua Kennedy's thesis, Theseus and the Minotaur. I worked on him, on scenes with him, but I'm not the uh, the author of that film, and I'm not the designer of Chill, but I certainly had uh, a, an amount of influence over the design choices and stuff as part of that team. Just wanted to straighten that out, give credit where credit's due. So big shout-out to Mark Akers and company there. Uh, other than that, Monster Zero you talked about, Senguli just showed that. It's one of my favorite Godzilla films, and it's the last of the holy tri- uh, trilogy, holy trinity of Godzilla films being uh, Mothra versus Godzilla and then Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster and then Monster Zero. Those are, in my opinion, probably the best Godzilla movies, aside from the first one of all time. I love those films. They're awesome. Nick Adams is, You rats! You stinking rats! I love that that bit. It's just so full of emotion. It's, it's In some ways, it's kind of over the top, and in other ways, it's perfectly understandable and I I love Nick's performance. I wish he'd done more kaiju movies. I wish he had been around longer than he was. You guys talked a little bit about the dubbing and if I'm not mistaken, I think the dubbing on that was done by the Titra Titan company that went by those two names and it's uh, a lot of the people that did Speed Racer and they were the best at dubbing as far as I'm concerned. They did it well, and when people make fun of dubbing, sometimes they're making fun of stuff those guys did, but I, I don't think it's warranted. Their, their dubbing was terrific, and it's terrific on uh, Monster Zero, it's terrific on Ghidra, it's terrific on uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. They really were the best at it. So, hats off to them, too. Anyway, that's about all I got. Uh, I'm sure there's more we could go into, but uh, we'll save that for the next time on the show. So, talk to you soon. Bye. Steve Sullivan signing off. Uh, thanks for the correction, Steve. I I know that you weren't the only guy who worked on Chill. It's just you're the only guy that I know in real life who worked on Chill. <laughs> so as far you're the as only con- one that matters. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you're like the big yeah. So the big Chill Kahuna, Chill being the awesome role playing game from uh, was it late '80s, early '90s? Was it mid '80s? I'd have to double check. If I get it wrong, I'm sure Steve will call and let me know. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you like the kaiju episodes, man. I love doing those kaiju films. I love having Anthony on to talk about the the giant monsters. I wish we had more time to do more giant monster talk. And Nick Adams is awesome. He is somebody who should have done, that I wish had done more genre work. And he had lived longer that he hadn't taken his own life. And uh, yeah, he left us some great films and I really enjoy watching him. And one of these days I'll do some more Nick Adams movies on the show. He was in a Lovecraft film. He was in Die Monster Die to bring it back to Lovecraft. But I think this might be the last Lovecraft reference and feedback. Okay. So. So you have to let me get through the first two lines of this. <sighs> okay. It says, hi, Derek. Pause to give Derek a chance to say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you put that on the first one? That, that's how it was written. Oh. That's how it came in from somebody. I didn't put that in there. Got it. John Murray. John, you can say my last name. There are hundreds of us, Murray. Yes. (laughs) I need that. I need that prompted reminder. (laughs) As evidenced by the beginning of this. Hi, Derek. 
Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I am a few podcasts, a couple hundred behind. I just finished listening to episode 360 with your guest, Joe Sherlock, and the four skulls of Jonathan Drake. Mm. I know I've seen this as a child on Dr. Shock in Philadelphia, but I didn't remember anything other than the floating skulls. After listening to the podcast, I went on YouTube and found four skulls and watched it. Wow. <laughs> I did not put that direction in either. He no, left that in the amazing. email. No. I need this. <laughs> wow. What an awesome film. Not as loud. <laughs> Thanks for the show on this movie. You made this monster kid very happy. See you at Monster Bash. Please stop advertising. I don't want it to get crowded. <laughs> P.S. Brenda does an awesome job at reading emails. Thank you. And that's John. You can say my last name. There are hundreds of us, Murray. Okay. <laughs> Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake is such a good film. You might dig that, Brenda. Mm. And, you know, there's actually some Lovecraftian elements. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's got come. Yeah, it kind of does. But, um... No, it's a good film. It's a really good film. I don't know about whether or not I'm making more people want to go to Monster Bash. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I hope a lot of people go. Right. I think you are. It's it's the right um, audience for it anyways. I guess there I mean, was that guy the- last year who, uh, who had his two kids with him who said something to me about how he... Uh, Heard about Monster Bash through me, and and that was it. I wish I had had a. I wish I had ma- taken that opportunity to talk to him more. <sighs> if you're out there and you're listening, and I think you probably know who you are, um, I would love to talk to you some more. If you're going to be at this year's Monster Bash, I'd love to chat. Yeah, man, it'd be a lot of fun, and I'd love to see him too. Martin John, there are thousands of us. Hundreds, honey. Hundreds. Hundreds. Don't over exaggerate. <laughs> there are thousands of Johns in the world. Come on it's now, John Murray. Ah, I mean. Possibly there's thousands as well. Yeah. It's going to be cool to see him. I am so looking forward to meeting more people and putting more faces to the uh, people that I assume hear my voice every week. <laughs> it would be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I'd love to play the Classic Five with every one of you, if there's time. Right. Weren't you just saying you looked at the schedule and there's so much time you're worried about your table being yes. empty? As of this recording, the first two days of Monster Bash have been announced. The schedule is there. There are movies run until like 4 a.m. Um, man, I, wow. I don't, I'm not going to be able to no, pull that off. You got to be able to. Yeah, I got to perform, man. I perform? Be, yeah, that's what I do. What? I don't know. <laughs> I just be able, I have to function. Yes, I have there to we function. go. That makes more sense. It's going to be awesome. Uh, there's going to be some awesome Q&As with people. Some films that I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to see. I think during most of the movies, I can hang out at the table, no problem. My issue is is seeing the Q&As and the presentations. Mm-hmm. My concern is missing some of those and, importantly, recording some of those for future episodes of MKR. Yeah. Frank Delostrito's uh, talk is going to be fantastic. And I need to get a hold of Gregory Mank because I would love to get his recording or his presentation recorded for the show and presented on the show as well we had talked about how we need to get you one of those little clock things i'll be back at this time and and (laughs) monsterfy it a little bit yeah like make the the hands should be tentacles (laughs) make it lovecraftian there we go (laughs) (laughs) i'd settle for like gilman hands yeah i feel like that's way more complicated yeah probably (laughs) hi derek hi (laughs) 
<laughs> you mentioned you have never seen The Blood on Satan's Claw. Trigger alert. There is one scene that appears to be a sexual assault slash murder. <gasps> it isn't graphic, but fairly clear as to what is going on. I learned to love this movie when it was shown on commercial TV where this scene was heavily edited. If the full version had cut about five seconds off of it, it would have been fine. The director, Pierce Haggard, says that he wishes he would have done this part of the movie differently. Also, he wishes he showed less of the monster, which is objectively ridiculous looking. Spoiler alert, it looks like a reject from the banana splits. <laughs> what I love about the movie is that it feels like the characters are genuinely living in that world. Clothes get muddy, and there's an overall eerie atmosphere and an excellent soundtrack. Good actors mostly, all with great faces. Regards, Jerry. Yeah, I don't know why I've never seen this one. I don't know why I haven't watched it. Hmm. I just, it's got a great title. It does, and it sounds like it was publicly available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's out there. I mean, it's on DVD and Blu-ray, I'm sure. I just never got around to it, and I don't I don't know why. Um, here's another thing that I haven't seen that also has that kind of folkish horror kind of thing. I've also never seen The Wicker Man, which in my mind, for whatever reason, I kind of lump The Wicker Man and Blood on Satan's Claw together. Hmm. Probably I shouldn't because I haven't seen the movies and I could be way off in doing so. But yeah, I just don't know why I've hmm. never gotten around to him. Sounds like I probably should. Well, if Jerry likes it, he's obviously a man of good taste as well. <laughs> Derek, I just... Oops, I don't know why I made that sound like a question. <laughs> Derek, I just wanted to let you know that I recently discovered MKR and I'm loving it. I have binge listened to the last 40 episodes or so and I'm hooked. You always have guests that bring interesting discussion to the films you cover. And it's always fun listening to Brenda's point of view concerning all things monster. I'm also a fan of surf rock and I enjoy the songs you feature each week. I think you mentioned once that for some reason, surf rock and horror films seem to go together. I've also thought that. For me, I think the connection is the theme song from the Munsters TV show, especially the slightly revised theme that was used on the later Pat Priest episodes. I really enjoy, if you can't tell, Derek is nodding thoughtfully. <laughs> I, I am nodding thoughtfully. I know. I'm, this is a thoughtful nod. <laughs> I really enjoy the classic five questions. It's a great way to break the ice with your guests. I'm also a fan of The Black Room, starring Boris Karloff. Yes. That is one of the first horror films I saw as a seven-year-old in 1972 on our local Shock Theater channel in Central North Carolina, WGHP Channel 8 in High Point. I'm still working my way through your MKR podcasts, so forgive me if you've already done this, but have you considered discussing any Mexican horror films from the early 60s? I have several on DVD, and one aspect I like about them is how some of them mimic the look of old universal horror films. I have found that on some level, I always enjoy a black and white film with lots of fog, spider webs, crypts, bats, and especially monsters who aren't afraid of a little screen time. The World of Vampires, 1961, and The Curse of the Crying Woman, also 1961, are two films that come to mind as fun, atmospheric Mexican horror films. I wish I could attend Monster Bash this year. It would be a pleasure to meet you. I won't make it this year, 
but I may have to finally attend the 2019 convention. I've put it off for too long. Your enthusiasm for classic horror films is contagious, and I hope your podcast continues for years to come. Steve B. from Durham, North Carolina. Awesome. Yeah. Mexican monster movies. Outside of what we've done for Lucha de Mayo. Yes, I got good it right. job. Yes. Outside of what we've done for Lucha de Mayo, I have not covered any of them yet. I don't think so anyway. I'd have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure it's a hole that we definitely need to fill. Yes. Well, they- uh, I like what I've seen. I've not seen very many. Uh, the aforementioned Rich Chamberlain and I at one point talked about covering... I think The Vampire? Is there a movie just called The Vampire from there? I'd have to double check. Hmm. Um, but then he and I just kind of got busy and just it never happened. Uh, I'd like to do more. I'd love to t- talk about the Brainiac. Uh, Brainiac is just so weird and twisted and great and cool because they bring their own take to them. It's its own monster. It's not the Mexican version of Frankenstein, the Mexican mm. version of Dracula. It's its own unique creation. And of course, the movie Ship of Monsters is just kind of bug nuts crazy. And uh, it's got, well, singing cowboys and a ship full of monsters. Mm. So Singing cowboys. Yeah. And a chip, chi- ship. A ship, not a chip full of monsters. Yes. <laughs> uh, Monster Bash 2019, I can tell you that uh, Joshua Kennedy is going to be premiering his film House of the Gorgon. There, from what I understand, it's a done deal, which will be awesome. And will you be going? I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. Yeah, I hope Steve B. can make it. Yep, it would be amazing. I'd love to meet you, man. It's really interesting how this little monster bash is such a... um, kind of pulls together everybody in your world into one place. Which is amazing. Yeah. It is so cool. Uh, I was talking with David Colton earlier in this episode, and he had called in, or I had called him at Mo- Monster Palooza, which realistically, not that I want to not go to Monster Bash, but would probably be an easier event for us to get to because it's in Burbank. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't involve crossing time zones. So it'd be a lot easier for us to get to. But he made the comment that it seems like West Coast, Monster Palooza, East Coast, Monster Bash. Not a heck of a lot of that kind of thing in between. Yeah, there's Horror Hound and some of Wasteland and all these other events. Right. But to have the, the solid classic horror representation, Monster Palooza was thick with it. Mm. Uh, and, of course, Monster Bash, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know why that is, especially since there are so many horror hosts from the middle of the country. You know that woman I work with? Yeah. She goes to Monster Palooza, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, and I know Frank Dietz goes there. And like mm-hmm. I told David, everybody but Kyle from the Kaiju cast was basically at Monster Palooza. Kyle was in Japan or something. <laughs> he actually posted a picture. For people who are here in Portland, this reference means something to you. If not, well, he actually posted a picture of him standing next to a wooden standee outside of a store. And it was the Beard Papa guy. <gasps> oh. But it wasn't the Beard Papas from the Japanese grocery store here. It was the one in Japan. It was the real Beard Papa? <laughs> yeah. And because Kyle's got that big beard too, people are like, "Hey, you can get you can get a job being their mascot." So. <laughs> but I'd love to get to Monster Palooza someday. Someday when I'm getting paid to do this, and this is all we have to worry about: conventions, travel, find things to do with Brenda. Just would be amazing. It'd be amazing. Yes, if it were financially viable. That's that's what I mean when I say yeah. I'm getting paid to do this. I, I mean, know. That, I know. If it was financially viable for us to convention hop, it would be oh so cool. Anyway, Monster Bash 2019. Let me get through 2018 first. Okay. But yeah, of course I'd want to go. 
Hey, Derek. Hey. I listened to the Cave of the Living Dead episode. I've been a fan of it for years, having first watched it on Commander USA's Groovy Movies. The late, great Commander USA introduced me to a lot of obscure horror movies, including this one. I loved the jazzy opening song and the vampire scenes I always found to be very creepy. I do agree that the spy genre influenced what would normally just be a normal police detective character. His introduction sitting at the bar checking out some random woman's legs is the perfect way to show the audience everything you need to know about him. (laughs) Great discussion and glad both you and Steven liked the movie. I voted for MKR for the Rondo Awards. Hopefully you'll get another one next year. To increase your chances of winning, just randomly throw out Twilight Zone references. Like in the middle of a discussion of Horror of Dracula, out of nowhere, just yell out, It's a cookbook! (laughs) (laughs) Brenda does a great job reading the emails. She has a very soothing radio voice. She reminds me of Stevie Wayne in John Carpenter's The Fog. Yeah? Let's see Adrian Barbeau character from The Fog, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, it's a really good 80s ghost story from John Carpenter. So it's solid 80s John Carpenter. It's, it's a good flick. I think hmm. I might have it on DVD around here somewhere. The snippet of dialogue there is actually yeah. from the film, her yes. doing a radio DJ thing. You want to try reading it? Sure. Okay. Ahoy, mateys. This is KAB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. Beaming a signal across the sea. For the men in the seagrass, 15 miles out tonight, a warm hello. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. Cool. Anyway, keep They should have put you in the fog remake instead of the people that they did. There was a fog remake? There was a fog remake. Oh. Because pretty much every single pre-1990 John Carpenter film has been remade. Oh. Almost. Have any of them done well? Um... (laughs) I guess Rob Zombie's Halloween did okay. Hmm. I guess. Okay. I don't know. I never saw it. Anyway, keep up the good work, Derek. And as Commander USA always said, keep your nose in the wind and your tail to yourself. See ya, Pilgrim Scott Pliskin. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever watch Commander USA? Mm -mm. No. Uh, I, I, I knew who he was. But I think when he was on, I was watching other things. So I never really watched him while he was on. Well, how old were you? For Commander USA, yeah. I was a l- I was the right age for it. I don't know why I skipped. I don't. I don't know. But what age would that be? Eighties, early nineties, eighties probably. Mm. I remember watching USA. I used to watch USA's Up All Night or Saturday Night Frightmare or whatever they called it. That's how I discovered the movie Neon Maniacs, which I was in love with and obsessed with for years. I was through one of those things. It was before Rhonda Shearer and Gilbert Gottfried hosted that show. But uh, yeah, I mean, I know he was kind of a big deal for a lot of people and he did just recently pass away, which kind of sucks. Wait, so did you have two TVs in your home? I could never, I never watched that much TV growing up. We had one TV. It was a great big Zenith inside of a boxed in frame. Mm -hmm, The big, it was like a piece of furniture. Yes, with the dials and, and we all watched it together so there wasn't a lot of extra time for me to be watching although somehow i always watched unico and the island of magic and loved it there you go so your housing situation and my housing situation growing up very different Mm. because we were a military family we had free housing on base so having to worry about paying for a place to live Ah. wasn't as high and because of that i think 
we were able to have a few more things. We did have a second television. I remember in almost every case we had a downstairs where there's a laundry and like the second refrigerator and freezer and uh, second refrigerator. Y'all were rich. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The computer was always downstairs Mm. and there was a second TV down there. We had the um, VCR upstairs. It was a VHS Mm -hmm. and we had the old, Betamax yes. downstairs. Yes. Our and Betamax was broken. You had to put a mine weight that we happened to have on there yep. to keep the tape from popping yep. up. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually where I recorded Neon Maniacs as I'd watch all that stuff downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Derek, Brenda, and the MKR loyal listeners. I had a lot of topics to address in this email, but after listening to episode 365, I backburnered the vast majority of it. I will quickly say that I appreciate the book suggestions, which has led me to several new pickups. The latest was The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell. Right on. Now, on to episode 365. Well, I know that you and Stephen Turek were talking about this year's Rally Awards, specifically 1954, and how it will be hard because of the Godzilla and the Creature from the Black Lagoon both being the top movies from that year. I am willing to bet a number of listeners might vote for them. The best film of 1954 is actually Them. (gasps) (laughs) But that seems to be a discussion for another day. (laughs) I say that because I wanted to talk about the end of the episode. While some people might have felt the discussion was off topic, I mean, it was more personal than monster related. I think it was the right move leaving it in the show. Besides giving Brenda an extended segment on the show, which is always a plus, It shows the love and support that goes into making the show. As a podcaster who is not making a living doing this, the frustration can be crushing. I know this all too well. No matter if you love your day job, if you have to stifle your creative side to keep the lights on and food on the table, it can lead to anger, self-doubt, depression, etc. And while I always say get over yourself because others have it worse, internal struggle can be consuming. This hobby that we take such pride in can help us through tough times, but sometimes we want more. I can honestly say the conversation on episode 365 was my favorite part of a great episode. Maybe because it was so real and unscripted. Maybe because I still believe in the idea that marriage is a partnership that takes work. Maybe because you can hear the love in Brenda's voice that not just a wife has for a husband, but that best friends have for one another. Whatever it may be, it spoke to me in more than words. So thank you for sharing that with us, even if not everyone shares that opinion. That's really nice to hear, actually. I was really worried. I don't know why, but maybe two days later, it started really um, haunting me that maybe we went like way too far off track. Hmm. Do you want to, is there anything else there in the There is, there is. Okay. I don't want to be a downer. I just wanted to say that while Monster Bash is not in the cards for me this year, I will be interested in getting a copy of the Classic 5 card set. (laughs) Now, with that said, I agree that you would sell a bunch at $20, even more at $10, but not that many at $75. Oh, man. (laughs) I know the $75 idea was not real, but it made me laugh. Anyways, thank you for all you do and talk to you soon. But until then, keep watching the skies. Jason Giaconetti from the Bots, Bugs, and Babes podcast. His is the uh, promo that I told you about. Mm-hmm. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? <laughs> I actually play that here uh, in a second. That's just because it's so awesome. Yeah. 
So um, I want to comment on that as well. And I think part of my issue, that's not even an issue, but part of my concern or, or trepidation is that's not what really people come to Monster Kid Radio for is, you know, a lot of the personal behind the scenes stuff. Mm. We might have done that when we were doing the Married with Monsters spinoff thing that I think we kind of still own an episode on. We do. It was, why was it? Oh, maybe because my disease was so unpredictable yeah. at health, that point. Health is tough. And, you know, when I start saying, let's watch this and record it for the show, it becomes a thing and it gets, it kind of sucks some of the enjoyment out of it for you, I feel like. So I try, I feel bad about not pushing it. In fact, we never finished watching the second season of Stranger Things for that very reason. Right. I feel like. Because you're right. And it's because I think I do watch in a different way because yeah. I want to remember things to talk about. Um, especially when I'm sicker, I have mm-hmm. memory issues. Yeah. Even down to like not being able to think of the word for lamp or something ridiculous. Potato. Potato. Yeah. I can't express myself but i also don't retain very well and so i think i tell myself we'll watch it we'll come back to it at some point when i am feeling better and able to focus and speak clearly which we happen to be in a good phase of but it does change how i watch right and that maybe is on me well no i mean it just it is what it is it's a health thing we both have health issues now mm-hmm. and things things are different Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to do this three or four weeks in a row, right? Which is amazing. Right. I'm, I am so grateful that you're and, in a place that you can. And hopefully there is less editing this time. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. Okay. <laughs> but I think one of the concerns that I had was, I don't know the best way to articulate this, but back when we were doing Mail Order Zombie and you were part of the show, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that I felt like, it was getting off brand a lot with the feedback discussion segment. Oh. Feedback was more than half of the show and it was oh. less about the zombie media and more about you know, stuff that I love, you, you know, oh. and us, but it, it just was very was off I brand. Was I part of the problem? I was What's part that? was I part of the problem with MOZ and why it wasn't working for you anymore? Absolutely not. Oh. Absolutely not. I and I've said this to people and I think I've said it on Facebook. I love that you're involved in MKR. Love it. That you read the collectible segment. Mm. I'd love for you to be able to keep doing that if we keep getting more because I, I love that. It was that. well written. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, doing the feedback I love doing as well. I like that we are trying to keep it on topic, um, but the occasional veering is fine. I feel like it's been a nice mix so far. Okay. I have had people reach out to me based on last week's episode and Jason commented on this. Even if people didn't like it, he did. Yeah. I haven't gotten anybody saying they didn't like it. Oh, okay. So oh, just to be clear, nobody's come in and said, hey, this was boring, or I stopped listening right when you started talking about making money. And yeah, I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of support. I've gotten yeah. a lot of feedback. Uh, Scott B., the guy who sent us the uh, Lost in Space stuff, Ooh. had a really good idea that other people have suggested it to me as well about doing commentary tracks. Troy Howarth has gotten to me and said, ask me whatever you want. I'm an open book, basically. Yeah. Which you is should. great. Uh, I, and I really, really appreciate the support. And that's something that I love about podcasting in general and Monster Kid Radio now specifically. And I got it with MOZ too. So I, please don't think I'm poo-pooing MOZ. But I have found that this community, this tribe is so supportive 
of each other and, and me, and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate that people are backing you and me. I love watching people support each other, mm. that people are becoming friends outside mm. of the podcast specifically, but because of the podcast, they're meeting each other. It's wonderful. Yeah. It is so cool. And I mean, even the guy that was on the show last week, Steve Turek, he wouldn't have found me if he didn't hear me on the Kaiju cast. I mean, so just to kind of see that connection, yeah. it's just really cool. Yeah. It's something very special. And David Colton talked about this in the Rondo discussion we had earlier, too, that it's a community of people. And, you know, we're all monster kids. We're all into this stuff. and We're all in it together. And it's pretty darn special. So thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. And Brenda is my best friend. And I'm glad that kind of comes through. And Yeah. You're my best friend. Aww. And I want you to be happy. I know you do. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I even told you earlier today that uh, I love having you in my corner, that you're such an awesome, supportive person of me. So thank you. Yes. And I've... thanks to everybody who wrote in. Yeah. Oh, is this the last one? That is the last email. That's the one I wanted to end on for that very reason. Aww. So. You're so nice. So if people want to write in, they can do so by emailing me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And if Brenda's feeling up to it, she'll read your email here on the show. And I have a good, I'm, I'm really like a good You're feeling run. it. I'm a good run. It's been a good run. Yes. <laughs> Take advantage of it while she's feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the voicemail line. Otherwise, I'd mention it now. But I'll mention it again here at the end of the <laughs> you show. You need to write it on your computer monitor. I need to write it down somewhere. Anything <laughs> else before I kick you off and I... Well, Wednesday would like to say hi, apparently. Hi, Wednesday. Aww. I hope people can hear that. Hi. Yeah. Yeah? What do you think of us going off topic? All right, she's done. I need to edit. Oh, yes. and I need to feed the cats. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe that's what this... This has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> this is the cat saying, feed me. I've been patient long enough. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. somewhat older and more drawn than I have in my recent pictures. It's because of the harrowing experiences I've been having here in The Maze. The Maze is the first picture in three dimension that delves into the weird and terrifying world of the supernatural. If you're familiar with the exciting effects that can be achieved with 3D, you can imagine what happens when something from the great beyond reaches right out of the screen to clutch at you. Oh, and one more thing. After you've seen the maze, 
please don't reveal to your friends the secret of its story or its startling climax. Because you see, we think the maze will amaze you. secret was hidden from the world for 200 years. Why was every door in Craven Castle locked at night? I went to your room and I saw something. Something horrible. It was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. It was your imagination. It was something alive. I saw it move. The terrifying story that startled the world comes to the screen in three dimensions. Hedra. The three-headed monster battles Godzilla. Mothra and Rodan for the world. All new, all never to be forgotten. See Ghidra, the three-headed monster. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. So that brings us to the end of the show. Head over to monsterkidradio.net to find everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes. Our contact information is over there. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com, like I already mentioned before, plus our voicemail line. You can call us and leave us a voicemail like Steve Sullivan did by calling 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Of course, there's going to be a link over there to everything that we've talked about here in the show. And as I mentioned earlier, there's that button that'll take you to Amazon if you want to pick up your own copy of Susan Tyler Hitchcock's Frankenstein book. Of course, there are links to everything else we have going on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Please consider liking the page and joining the group. And right across the top there, you're going to see a link to the annual Monster Poll 2018, where we are trying to find out what your favorite monster movies are. We need to know your top 20, and we're going to announce the poll results at this year's Monster Bash. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what you guys and gals put down as your favorite monster movies, your top 20 favorite monster movies, as well as your top five Vincent Price films. Since Victoria Price will be at Monster Bash, we thought it'd be neat to present to her what well, the Monster Kid Radio audience felt were the top five Vincent Price films. Please participate in this poll and share it with your friends. The deadline is May 15th. So what's coming up next week on the show? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, I have some things in the virtual can that I can put out. We'll see. I'm going to ask you to go to monsterkidradio.net and just follow along because that's where I'll announce what's coming up next. I have a recording coming up this weekend with somebody who's been on the show before, Timothy Price, and maybe that'll be in the feed. You'll just have to come back to episode 367. 
to find out. Uh, note about the Rally Awards, the Monster Rally Retro Awards that we do here on Monster Kid Radio. While that recording is in the virtual can, as I said last week, I'm sitting on it right now because we just got done with the Rondo Awards. We're currently doing the poll. How many things can we ask you to vote in? I, I just want to hold off a little bit. Plus, I want to make sure that recording is extra special, especially since I plan on doing something on YouTube with it. And I've had somebody reach out to me and say that he's working on something for YouTube for me, for the rallies. And well, we just want it to be awesome. So that will be coming. However, it might not be dropping until the first week of June because May is spoken for Lucha de Mayo. We are doing nothing but Luchador monster movies in the month of May. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've got three movies already spoken for. I think I've got a fourth and maybe even a fifth, which works out because there's five weeks in May. I'm excited that this theme month is actually coming together. And I'm excited to talk about monster movies of any kind. Luchador Assange Luchador. It'll be fun. Good time. So I hope you come back next week for Monster Kid Radio into May and then, well, for the rest of the year. So we got a lot of big plans coming up here on the show. Before I sign off, I want to remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Zero Hour. That belongs to the band Rondo Hatton. You can find it on their album Breaking the Sound Barrier, which you can find on Amazon, or go to their Bandcamp page, rondohatton.bandcamp.com. Com. Check out the album, Breaking the Sound Barrier. Seven bucks, 13 tracks. It's all good. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the show. And I can't wait to talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. Ciao.